Welcome to the Wild West Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Troy Caldwell. Troy is a former pro skier who, as a young man, bought this incredible piece of property in the Lake Tahoe Mountains. It's right between Squaw Valley and Alpine Meadows, two of Tahoe's premier ski resorts. And for the past 30 years, Troy has been planning and plotting about how to use the land to develop his dream backyard ski area. And he calls the whole thing White Wolf. Every skier in Tahoe has heard of White Wolf. Troy is something of a local legend in the area, and he's been pushing this idea for three decades, so people know about it. But he only recently submitted his big proposal of this project to Placer County for review. And so after all this time of hearing about this thing, people finally get to see what Troy actually wants to build. So here's the basic overview. It'd be a private ski area with two chairlifts, 38 home units, this 50,000 square foot lodge, and then other amenities around like a tennis court and a warming hut and an ice skating rink and stuff like that. It's the kind of place that Troy wants to live in. We decided uh, coming from the ski industry and living in the ski industry and wanting to be involved with it that uh, we wanted it something that we felt comfortable living with. The really fun thing about White Wolf is that it is key to this huge plan that Squaw Alpine, the neighboring resorts, have to build a gondola through the mountains that connects the two resorts. So that gondola would need to have a mid-station, and the best place for that is Troy's White Wolf property. So once all this happens, it could effectively link these two big ski resorts through Troy's property and open up more terrain for skiers, you know, on the same lift ticket. Some people think that this kind of infrastructure development represents the future of Lake Tahoe ski industry. You gotta open up more ski terrain between these big resorts, and then effectively you could create these big ski touring corridors, kind of similar to what you see in the mountains of Europe. There's a lot to unpack here about what's going on, so the other day I drove up to Troy's property to hike around and get the whole lowdown on how this all might work. So without further ado, here's Troy Caldwell. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast, Troy. It's great to have you. I appreciate that, Greg. Thanks for inviting me into it. So we are sitting right now in your workshop, is that what you call it? Yeah, kind of our, uh, uh, I call it maintenance garage. It looks like, almost like a little museum in a sense. We've got all kinds of artifacts hanging on the walls here yeah. and all kinds of uh, goodies that uh, we utilize for whatever we're doing here at the White Wolf Project. So if you could just give us kind of an overview of the White Wolf project, the White Wolf idea. What is it? Yeah, um, White Wolf for me started in uh, 1989 is when I picked up the property. Um, there was, uh, as a matter of fact, the San Francisco Chronicle was the first uh, people to break, break the news. It uh, was uh, fairly interesting to the public in the fact that it was be between a couple of ski areas and uh, everybody wondered how I was able to get this and uh, the ski areas didn't. So uh, it generated quite a bit of attention and uh, news media at that point. And it kind of changed my life and my dreams and stuff. I had come from a background in the ski world, uh, U.S. Uh, freestyle team, and uh, had architecture in my my uh, dreams all the time. But uh, as luck would have it, uh, I ended up in the right spot at the right time. Uh, you can go back in the old stories and uh, 
see what was generated uh, controversial-wise, but uh, here's this young guy. He's got this uh, new piece of property, and it's right next to two world-class ski areas. So right. the dream begins. Right. So at the time, what was your idea for what you had hoped this project could become? At first, I had envisioned um, uh, Stein Erickson was a um, kind of a hero in the ski world and had a uh, put a, a lodge together. It was kind of high end for his clients in a, in the Deer Park area, and I had envisioned something like that here. Uh, coming off the World Cup circuit, I would have my guests come and we would ski with them and uh, show them around the mountains and stuff. And once we uh, couldn't get the five acres and it ended up in to be a square mile um everything had to change we had just way too much uh property and uh, opportunities so we had to start thinking about um uh, the potential that would uh, could take place with the property uh, being between the two ski areas uh the natural assumption was uh, maybe this is time to connect the two uh, uh-huh. that story had been going on for quite a while um I know in the uh, early 50s, they had uh, talked about a ski circus that would connect the Sugar Bowl all the way out to Alpine Meadows. And um, uh, more recently in the 60s, uh, the ski magazines were talking about connecting Alpine and Squaw. So yeah. here came that opportunity. Uh, the difference at that point was is uh, both ski areas were owned by different people, and uh, they weren't sure that they wanted to uh, make a connect so um, we had to kind of start our dream and go one particular direction and here we go we're we're off and running on um, uh, the potential to connect is it a village uh, a lot of people suspected you know we would be a, a village that you'd ski into between uh, Squaw and Alpine so we went along those lines and talked to a lot of different people about those opportunities and what a, a ski village would look like and coming from the world circuit, I was uh, well-versed at what had been done in Europe, and uh, that was a pretty exciting opportunity for us to be able to ski in to, uh, village to village in there. We ended up uh, being uh, headed towards a high-end uh, residential community instead of a connecting village. Interesting, right. There is a certain type of um, property owner who would look at a piece of land like this and the potential to put in a, another ski area around Tahoe and think, this is a huge lucrative opportunity. We could put in multiple hotels, something, some large development here, but that's not exactly what you want to do. Why doesn't that occur to you? My dream, you know, was uh, a skiing community that we could ski into the village and out of the village. And that was kind of the dream for me uh, was to connect them by skiing. It wasn't so much a, uh, a money-making opportunity for me, I could have sold out quite a few times to the big developers and basically uh, gone that ter- that direction. Right. Um, we decided, uh, coming from the ski industry and living in the ski industry and wanting to be involved with it, that uh, we wanted it something that we felt comfortable living with. So I, I guess probably one of the biggest compliments you can give a project is if the developer ends up living in the project Mm. Uh, it's something that he actually uh, feels is is a good thing and a comfortable place to live and that's kind of where we wanted to add with that so um, high-end residential uh, still had those uh, interesting guests that I could show around Um, but we could kind of make a a difference in a a concept of uh, what people thought of as ski areas so it's been 30 years since you bought the land, and we are just at the point now where you have submitted uh, kind of a, a cohesive planning proposal uh, to, the, to Placer County for an environmental impact report. 
So why has it taken this long to get these, this plan in place? What's been going on the last 30 years? Yeah, uh, as we changed ownerships of the ski areas, uh, directions of the plans changed. Uh, uh, if they didn't want to connect to the two separate owners, that uh, took us one particular direction. Now with the new ownerships owning both of the mountains, uh, they're uh, definitely interested in the connect. Uh, you've probably heard the stories about the gondola. Uh, it's not part of our project, but it does go through our same properties and stuff. So. Um, our plan changed periodically as uh, we adjusted with the, uh, the course of time and um, came back to what was comfortable for our community is a residential kind of feel. So um, that's, uh, it's been a long time in coming. It was um, four years just in the application process to uh, you know, submit what we, we thought was uh, our project. To back up really quickly, the gondola project that you mentioned is uh, this proposal that Squaw Alpine has put forward that's kind of in, pro in process right now that would connect the two mountains, the two ski areas, by this, this big gondola that goes across the two. And the mid-station for that gondola would be on your property, right? Uh, correct. I, I'd say about 50% of that gondola crosses through a portion of our property. Okay. There is a perception out there that the white wolf village that you are proposing and the gondola project that squaw is proposing are kind of part of one big development that would kind of achieve what you described earlier of connecting these these two well sort of these three ski areas so are those connected or are those not connected or how do you see those being separate or or differentiated yeah, we're all part of the ski industry, but it's a totally separate project. It wasn't anything that we anticipated as being part of our project. Uh, had it been 15 years ago, uh, we would have definitely uh, contemplated that as um, you know uh, the transportation source between the two. Uh, as it worked out, it's uh, not part of our project, not necessarily um, in any means, and we actually proposed it at a different location that wasn't part of our our village. So it got uh, located back uh, in in towards our our base facilities, and uh, I think that's how the concept kind of started. That we were all kind of interconnected in there, but um, we we have our own ski chairs in the private uh, community and uh, it wasn't anything that we had anticipated as a, a necessary function for us okay we'll get back to my conversation with troy in just a moment but first let's take a quick break Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the private sustainable ski area uh, that you're proposing is kind of a new thing for Tahoe. I mean, we have these big ski resorts, and then there are kind of a few smaller ski areas left. Uh, but creating like a this actual private area would be something completely new. So I was just wondering if you could talk about that, where that idea came from, and how that would function. Yeah, different in the whole ski industry. Um, usually... Um 
club kind of atmospheres have been tried in different scenarios, sometimes uh, a little bit successful. Uh, probably the comparative that uh, we're most compared to is the uh, Yellowstone Club uh, in Wyoming. It's a much bigger, larger development, but it's uh, next to the Big Sky uh, ski area, so it has some similarities in that. Um, we're lucky in the fact that we happen to be located between two world-class ski areas and can we develop a private ski area. I think it has some um, uh, great opportunities for us. Um, obviously, if you're a skier and you happen to be involved with that, it's a pretty neat, exciting uh, thing to be able to ski at your own private ski area. Um, I think we can uh, progress that attitude along. Uh, uh, people will pretty, pretty much enjoy uh, that factor in it. Um, how we play out in the rest of the industry. Uh, we're new. Uh, it'd be different. Um, I think, uh, I don't know what the last ski area in the United States was that was formed, but uh, it was quite a few years ago. It could have been North Star. It could have been uh, Beaver Creek. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. quite a few years back. So um, doesn't happen too often that a ski area gets developed. This one's a little different concept. Um, it's private. Uh, people aren't sure how that all uh, comes together. But uh, it's um, kind of like a, a club atmosphere, and uh, we're going to see how it all pans out. So how would that work exactly? Like, what, what is a private, how does a private ski resort or a private ski area work? We basically house all our employees for the, uh, on the project uh, here. So um, for a small group like this, they multitask. They basically may be a ski instructor uh, in the winter and a chef in the summer months or a tennis instructor or whatever. So they have multitask, but they actually live here and are, are part of the project and stuff. So um, uh, I guess you could call it like a, heart, uh, or a small homeowners association with um, quite a bit of money to spend on their facilities. So Yeah. But these aren't, but so the people that you just described would be the employees, but you're not selling this just to employees. You're selling this to like investors and clients essentially, right? Like, Correct. Yeah. yeah. So Mainly uh, uh, the employees are working for this homeowners association. Okay. So our, our 38 lots that uh, are our members, basically, they'll be um, uh, working for them. Yeah. And then how would skiing actually work? Would the, the land here only be open to uh, the, the, those 38 homeowners and their guests, or would people be able to come over potentially from Squaw and Alpine since it, it borders those properties or how would that work? Yeah, we're pretty much set up for just these 38 people and their guests. Um, we've, uh, uh, got avalanche territory. We have some pretty, um, advanced ski terrain here. And, uh, as we've set it up, uh, as you become a member uh, you need to ski with our guides to uh, to get your qualifications. Uh, we actually want our people to be uh, savvy about avalanche uh, scenarios. Uh, and before they can go out basically on their own, they're going to need to have their uh, site-specific um, avalanche uh, training here. So um, our members will be um, uh, avalanche, uh, not experts, but they're going to definitely understand avalanches because um, that's the... the the mountain that we live in here so uh, for the public to get involved uh, we don't anticipate that at this point uh, if uh, there's a special group of friends and stuff that are coming and staying at uh, uh, maybe the squaw lodges or something uh, i'm sure these homeowners are going to uh, try to accommodate them in some fashion uh, so there'll be uh, guests coming in from that direction but basically we're not uh, selling tickets to the public got it so how many so in terms of the skiing how many 
chairlifts are we talking about? How how much skiing, how much ter- like terrain would be open to skiing and what style of skiing and what kind of experience level uh, are we talking about? Yeah, we have uh, two chairlifts. Um, they're done much in the European style. Uh, they don't look uh, quite as um, modern as you would see a chairlift in uh, uh, our typical ski areas. They don't look um, metalish and spaceshipish. These kind of come out of buildings. They're uh, old-fashioned styled rock work on the basis of them and uh, migrating into a... Um, uh, a, a kind of a modern look on the tops of them so we can take advantage of the new technology of uh, solar uh, capabilities. So um, they're a little different in, in uh, what they look like, but they function basically um, as you know two private chairlifts in there. I lost track a little bit on that, Greg. Where <laughs> what was, do you have an idea? Can you give people a sense of how much terrain would be available and what type of terrain and yeah. what kind of experience level they'd have to have? We have a lot of advanced terrain. We opened up about 300 a- acres of uh, skiing. Um, uh, a lot of that is groomable kind of stuff. We have some uh, intermediate runs that uh, run like two miles, basically, from uh, top to bottom on those. Uh, we have some advanced, very advanced uh, um, skiing we have some very uh, uh, beginner uh, kind of uh, experiences too not much of that uh, a lot of, uh, we're, we're up against a pretty substantial mountain there so we don't have a lot of rolling kind of hills but we've taken advantage of um, a lot of our uh, intermediate kind of skiing to ski in and out of our uh, the homes and facilities uh, so those will all be groomed in there so there'll be a substantial amount of groomed stuff and there'll be uh, definitely some off-pack kind of things too one of the things that interests me about this project this proposal is that it makes me wonder about the trajectory of development uh, in north tahoe and on the west side um, i think that if some people could go back in time they would they would have designed and planned uh, some of the communities around the lake a little bit differently um, road infrastructure and other infrastructure would maybe be, have been done differently um, because right now there are traffic issues there um, are all kinds of tourists who pour in in the winter and summer um, it makes it tough for locals and so you know one of the um, concerns that I've seen come up about this project over the years is that it would exacerbate those issues. It would bring more traffic and more visitors and it would have more of an environmental impact. And I I wonder, I guess I just wonder how you respond to those kinds of concerns. Yeah, traffic is uh, definitely a big issue all throughout California. We uh, barely can keep up with our road systems as we uh, create them and get them finished. Uh, They're filled with cars. So definitely a concern of uh, our community in the mountains here. Um, I'm celebrating 50 years in the mountain now, so I've uh, seen a lot of changes as far as uh, development and roads and stuff. Um, Will ours add to it? Certainly it will. Um, But ours is such a small spec compared to some of the the bigger projects out there um i don't know of any projects uh, there are 38 lots or in a square mile um most of the time that would accommodate um you know in the thousand kind of category so um we're capable of basically controlling our our growth in that sense Uh, we want to be sensible in the fact that uh, no growth is uh, um, not a reality Uh, so some growth takes place as a local, uh, we kind of know what we'd like to have in our community, and uh, smaller growth is a, is a pretty cool thing. So this project basically falls in that category that uh, we can kind of control 
the scenario of how much um, is used on a piece of property. You've described the, the village, these 38 homes that you would put in here as this experimental community and you have some ideas for how that could work. Uh, what does it mean, what does an experimental community mean and what kind of example do you sort of hope that that, that, that sets for, for other communities, other planners? Yeah, it's a good question, Greg. It's, uh, we've always anticipated that uh, being small like this, we have the ability to kind of um, go out and search uh, for some of the new opportunities that we see in technology and uh, utilize them and put them into effect. We're going to uh, let the guys kind of uh, design things um, maybe more around uh, cubic feet than square footage. Uh, we're not looking to do huge, massive homes. We can, um, we've seen that you can make very comfortable uh, homes in smaller uh, spaces. Um, uh, we'd like to kind of press that with the uh, designers to come up with uh, ways that we can make um, exclusive comfortable living homes in smaller spaces. So um, with, with those kind of uh, projections from our, our, our architects and um, engineers, we'd like to experiment with a whole bunch of things, the over the snow kind of concepts. Um, living in the mountains for 50 years, uh, one of the big things we always have to do is plow all the roads out. You dig out all your paths. You, you're always trying to get down to uh, the the dirt basically to, to move around. Um, we have some of our communities uh, over the snow. We're working with some of the snowcat companies, uh, snowmobile companies to come up with uh, ways that people can transport and um, uh, utilize just staying on top of the snow. So doing our design so we're, we're raised up a little bit so we have a, a, a base of snow that we can travel over the top of. So ski in, ski out community and uh, over the snow kind of uh, winter access. Um, uh, bunches of ideas have been thrown at me. Uh, we kind of attract a, a person that um, is uh, entrepreneurial in uh, his, his lifestyle and we'd like to kind of let those guys uh, um, throw some ideas and stuff at us too. So it sounds like you you think that this could be the home stretch for this project that you were saying earlier that there's there's light at the end of the tunnel what makes you feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel um we've gone through all the motions of you know our studies and stuff in there but the fact that uh, we have a fireproof home is pretty important to uh, the western united states right now and it's uh, drawn quite a bit of interest and people are um, intrigued as to um, how you build these fireproof kind of homes so um I think that's a, a turning point for us in the fact that, uh, you know, a ski community is kind of a recreational kind of base and it's kind of fun and everything, but this has some real sub substantial meaning to it. Uh, if we can uh, develop a fireproof shelter in place kind of community, I think the rest of the Western United States is going to be pretty interested in that. And do you have, you know, um, sort of an estimation for when you would like to actually be able to break ground on this project? Yeah, um, I'm thinking, Greg, uh, light for the end, of the end of the tunnel. It's been a long journey for 30 years now yeah. getting there, and uh, people don't realize all the background stuff that has to take place to, to get to this point. But you want to listen to your community. You want to understand what uh, works best for them. And we listened hard to uh, the people and kind of gave us the direction to where we ended up with this uh, high-end residential community. So light at the end of the tunnel, I'm in the, I'm in the uh, final stretch now as far as I can see. And we'd like to um, 
you know, kind of get shovels in the ground in a couple of years here. But um, I'm, I'm thinking that um, what we've gone through in all our background uh, is going to be a good basis for us. And uh, listening to your community is, is pretty important. And I think we've got a, a good product coming up. Thank you very much. Thanks for sitting down, Troy. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks very much again to Troy for making time to come on the podcast. To learn more about White Wolf, check out whitewolftahoe.com. If you want to follow what I'm up to with California Outdoors Stories, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. I don't know if you guys know, but I record and edit and produce all of these podcasts, I write my scripts, I you know record it by myself, I arrange the interviews. It's kind of a one-man show. And I'm not asking for any kind of support or donations or things like that. But if you do feel like helping me out, I'll tell you there is one thing that you can do. And that's that you can email my boss and tell her that you like this podcast. That would go a long way for me if you guys wanted to help. More than a rating or a review on iTunes email my boss. Her email address is acooper at sfchronicle.com. That's Audrey Cooper. She's the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle. See you next time.